0: Wow, Uh, if you got that, I heard one person get it, Uh, but that should have taken some response of, uh, I agree, yes, that's me, that's my prayer, that's my resolve. Um, I refuse. No more pretending, no more going through the motions, no more status quo, no more empty prayers. I refuse to do that kind of church game thing. And I'm going to be a man of God. I'm going to be a woman of God. I'm going to be a part of the church of God. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you come and uh, you're worshiping with us. Uh, What's God already saying to you? How are you already being touched or impacted or shaken? Because we've already done some pretty powerful stuff. I mean, just that last resolve... We can quit and go home right now if Jerry was articulating what's in your own heart. And of course, we can't do that just by good intentions. And so we were reminded of God's faithfulness. He's always faithful to come through when we're sticking our neck out and risking life for Him. It's by the power of His name, His person, that that kind of life can take place. Do you connect the dots? when you're in a service like this and there are these various elements. I mean, James started off praying for you. Praying for what are the wounds? What are the hurts? What are the the things that are going on in your life that can challenge you moving forward? And so we've already asked God's grace upon you. Got those dots connected. You see where God's moving already in here and with you? Last week... Uh, we concluded our service by inviting you to pray. And Several of you did pray. Lord, would you make me bold? Make me bold for Jesus. Make me bold about who you are and all that you do in us and in this world. And then there was a second part of that prayer. And God, would you stretch out your hand? And would you heal And would you touch and would you help and would you do special things for people that are outside the church, outside the faith? And we spent some time giving you that opportunity in here. And so I'm just curious, how did that play out for you this week? Is there any story to tell? And where'd you take that mic, Jerry, here? So seriously, I wanted to check in with you and we're, we're just going to take a minute. Anybody you'd say, you know, I prayed for boldness and I prayed for God to do special things in the lives of other people. Anything to tell about that? Give you one minute uh, to do that.
1: Todd. for walking back to me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, my prayer was for a co-worker of mine. Uh, she's somebody that's been somebody for me to talk to during everything we went through with Hayden um in the last year she's lost her two children one through an accident and one through suicide and I saw just the toll that was taking on her faith she was really giving up really struggling and so I was really praying for her and going okay God help me to talk to her help me to not let her give up and um saw her back at work went up and talked to her and just was asking her how are things going you know what's going on i've been praying for you and she told me that uh, she had actually found a counselor who actually used to be a pastor and was helping her through uh, life healing choices Hmm. and so i was like hey i've read that book we've gone through a study at my church if there's any questions any way i can help and it just opened up the floodgates of Well, I'm dealing with this. I'm going on with this. Just talking with her and kind of helping her realize that, you know, you're not the only person dealing with this kind of stuff. You're not the only person going through this kind of stuff. And, yeah, you have to go to the beginning of everything and figure out where everything started. It's not this newest thing that's bugging you. It's things, you know, five steps down the way that are what's really getting to you. And uh, really saw that that was taking the weight off her shoulders and just was like, thank you so much
0: for Mm -hmm. that, God. Thanks for sharing that, Todd. Anybody else back here while I'm back here? I'm into the economy of steps. Okay. Anybody else back here? Yes, ma'am.
2: Last week I prayed for God to give me boldness at at work. And so um, I work at a children's hospital in the Starbucks. And so I was at lunch. I get my half an hour break where I don't have to talk to people and uh there's this uh girl that came up and I just felt like I needed to talk to her and uh, her and her almost husband are going through some serious problems with their child who first needed to get a liver transplant and now she has leukemia and uh their relationship is on the rocks and I uh was able to talk to her about my religion and uh, her uh, things that she was going through and I asked if I could pray for her and she's like yeah there's a lot of people praying for me and I asked if I could pray for her right then mm. and that's bold. and she said no one ever asked me to do that and so we had a Starbucks I was able to pray for her mm. and I felt Uh, a peace and calmness and I felt that that's what really God wanted me to do for her
0: thank you God bless you for that all right anybody else as I make my way up here all right
3: So It's kind of funny because I haven't even been here for the past few weeks, and I haven't even heard these messages, but um, I went to Centrifuge just a couple of weeks back with the group, um, and that wasn't even necessarily what we talked about. I mean, it was hinted at, but that was the exact word that was placed on my heart that week was old. Um, and so that had been my prayer, um, especially since I was going to San Diego right after that, And I was going to be going to an Invisible Children conference for four days. Um, It was my prayer that I would be bold to all those 700 people around me that are some of the most inspirational people you'll ever meet. But, you know, who knows if they know the Lord? Um, Because it's not technically a Christian organization, and I didn't know um, what to expect. And then one of our first mornings, um, the founder of Invisible Children came out, and he spilt his faith out in front of all 700 of those people. And um, and those were the words he used too. It was bold, and so um, as we were going around with those 700 people, I was just we were asking for their stories, um, and whenever someone asked me about mine, I had to be bold, and so um, and I was surprised to find, you know, how many people were having the same things on their heart um, and were so open about their faith but then there were others that were on the complete opposite of the spectrum and they, they realized that um, with our faith we have to be bold not only with our words but with our actions and with our reaching out towards those in need and so it was really
0: powerful well, thank you so you say Scott what are you doing why, why do we talk about such things and you wander around the room and you're trying to see what's happening it's because uh, this is the real deal this isn't some kind of just ritual and religious activity that we engage in and you know we have a little religious hiccup and we feel better about everything and we go on into the week and it's kind of detached from God and spiritual things and then we come back and get a little uh, you know religious hit and, and lift this is the real deal 24-7 all the time, God at work, in you, through you, around you, allowing you to see it, allowing you to participate in that. And so what we're talking about over these days is being church, where that is our reality, where that is our life uh, and not just some little religious exercise or game. And so today uh, we're taking that the next step as we're talking about being church. is just a risky deal. And if it's not a risky deal for you, you don't have the real thing, because it's always been risky for those who are really in it. Now, just to quickly remind us, when we're talking about church, I don't know what comes to your mind when you start thinking about church, but we're not primarily talking about buildings. We're not talking about institutions. We're not talking about pastors and offices and officers and all those kinds of things, which are not bad. We'll talk more about that later in the series. But we're talking about church as a movement where God penetrated humanity in historical, verifiable ways. And there's been a wave. There's been movement from that ever since. And of course, that radical invasion into humanity was in the person of Christ, who was God himself. Incarnate clothed himself with humanity and became one of us, died that atoning death, and then resurrected. Nobody's ever done that. It's one of a kind, unique, never to be repeated kind of thing. And men and women in the aftermath of that were so impacted and so transformed and so energized by that, uh, this thing exploded that we call church and so at its best it's always been movement it's always been this activity of God in the midst of humanity and not so much institutional building hierarchical and so uh, what we've been highlighting for you in these last couple of weeks as we've been going through the book of Acts ACTS fifth book in the New Testament and I'm going to go there in a minute we'll be in chapter five if you want to get ready for that But what we've been highlighting is that uh, when this whole thing exploded on the day of Pentecost and Peter preached a brief little message about uh, the resurrection of Jesus, pretty much just what I said, just in a few minutes, three thousand people in one day became followers of Christ. Up to that point, there had been about a hundred or so. And then a few days later. Peter and John are going to the temple at the time of prayer. They encounter this uh, begging guy on the side of the road, uh, right outside the gate. And they, by God's power, perform a miracle. And the guy is able to rise up and stand for the first time in his life. He's about a 40-year-old guy. and Now he can walk and move about. And he's never been able to do that in his whole life. He was a well-known beggar there at the, at the corner of the, the temple gate. And so, all kinds of people saw this happen, and there's this big buzz, and everybody's going crazy, and Peter takes the opportunity to once again say what I just said about Jesus. God incarnated Himself. He came, and He was the anointed, died for our sins, resurrected. And we're told about 5,000 men, this is just a few days later, began to be followers of Jesus. Now, this is all like about two months after the resurrection. So this is not some far-removed, get-everybody-hyped-up-and-manipulated-about-an-event-that-nobody-ever-saw-or-ever-heard-about-or-could-verify. This is like within two months of how this thing unfolded. And uh, as we continue to move through the book of Acts and the unfolding of this story, we're going to see that it brings about a whole lot of conflict, and basically for this reason. Rome was the power of the world at that time. And so almost everything that was a part of the known world was under the Roman Empire control and influence, including Israel. And Israel had kind of this little dance going on with Rome. Rome valued this thing, this thing, the peace of Rome. And they would, they would do a variety of things to maintain that peace. Sometimes they would just exert military force to do it, but sometimes they would do so in more negotiating kinds of ways. And so Israel was allowed a good bit of latitude to express their faith. And, and the Romans didn't care anything about Jewish faith, didn't care anything about Jewish systems and hierarchies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they allowed that kind of stuff to happen because. When it happened well, then they kind of maintained the peace. They were more likely to be responsive to Rome and pay taxes and do this kind of stuff. So they cut them a lot of latitude. But Israel has always had a history of being kind of tumultuous. And so every now and then they'd have to come in and squash down these little uprisings that would happen in Israel. And that's what's going on now. The followers of Jesus are getting so bold... And so out there about the resurrection and the presence of God and the power of God. And you've got all these Jews that are are saying our our Judaism is now being completed in Jesus. And the priest and the Sadducees, a council called the Sanhedrin, are going crazy over this. A, because they think it's going to so wreck the apple cart that Rome's going to come down crushing on them. And B, they're losing power and influence themselves amongst their people. And so uh, the apostles, and at this point there's either 11 or 12, if they've already added the 12th guy at this point, uh, they're in the temple precincts preaching, teaching, talking about this. And we're told that large numbers are coming to faith and to Christ every day. And these Jewish leaders are so infuriated by that, they decide they're going to arrest the apostles. Now, it was all in this context, and that's where we were last week. That, you know, Peter and John get arrested, they get put in jail, they get out of jail, and they go back to the believers, and the believers don't hunker down. They don't start praying, Oh God, protect us, Oh God, keep us safe, Oh God, uh, watch over us, and don't let us be hurt or our our families damaged or whatever. They pray, God, in the face of all this, make us bold. Help us not cower back from all that's happening. In our culture. In our uh, religious community. In the government that surrounds us. And would you also stretch out your hand and heal people and perform mighty works and miracles. Bless people outside of the church so that they glorify you. So that they are drawn to you. And this is happening. And we're told that large numbers are coming to Christ day by day by day by day. Now... This has got to sound pretty foreign to you. It's pretty foreign to me, and I I soak in this kind of stuff all the time. And it's a little bit unique to our being North Americans that this seems so alien and so strange to us. Because we've never really known risk. We live in the safest country in the world. And here in the Redmond, Sammamish, Eastside kind of area, we're like in the safest community, in the safest country in the world. And yet, we often find our prayers spiced with requests that God protect us, that God keep us safe, that God give us traveling mercies on this particular trip. And some of our believing friends in other countries who don't have our highway systems, who don't have our kinds of uh, policing and, and monitoring things. They're like, you're praying for safety where you are. You ought, to, you ought to live where I'm living. You ought to drive the roads we drive around here. And we pray, oh God, keep us healthy and address the sickness and address that sickness. And, you know, our believing friends around the globe are like, you guys have more doctors, more hospitals, more medicines than anybody in the world. What do you, What is that? And so, don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to discourage you from praying certain things that you pray frequently. Those are not bad things to pray. But I think you also need to know, contextually, around the globe, we have it better than anybody else anywhere. And because of that, we sometimes can forget, well, not sometimes, we almost all the time forget what's risk like. What's living boldly like? Because uh, a couple of the stories that you just heard about a little little boldness there. you do that in some other countries and you don't get to share about it next Sunday, you're in jail. You've had assets seized. You've had uh, family members ripped away. And so uh, we're not all together, aware and accustomed to this thing of what boldness can be like because we don't live in a context where we see that kind of thing happen. Here's the bottom line. Everybody is going to live somewhere forever. Everybody, after they die, And this world is no more and we are no more is going to live somewhere forever. And those of us that follow Jesus believe that God has sent us the answer to that dilemma in Jesus. So the bottom line is, is that we have been entrusted with not only that message and that hope but with all of the good life and blessings that are so much a part of who we are. So let me hasten to add, I'm not advocating for, and I hope you will never feel guilty for having all of your blessings. That's not the point. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that we have the blessings that we have. It's not something to feel guilty about, but it is something to be responsible about. And when God is so good to us and when God blesses us in so many ways, it's because he loves you and he wants to bless you. But it's also because he wants to bless others through you. And so he entrusts some measure of blessing in your life so that it benefits others. That's the point. And that's the point that this early church got so well. So we're going to get into chapter 5, and I'm going to uh, give some of it to you verbally, and then we're going to read some of the text uh, together. But remarkably, um, Peter and John get out of jail. The believers don't hunker down, but rather, God, would you bless it? Help us to be out there for Jesus. And would you stretch out your hand and do miracles and bless other people? so that they are drawn to you. And guess what happened? God answered those prayers. These guys are bold. They're out there. They're talking about the resurrection. They're talking about the power of Christ that's coursing through them in the very moment, the difference that it's making in them and around them in the very moment. And we're told that many are coming to faith. Many are are, are being healed. Many miracles are, are happening. Many provisions are being made. And it is just stunning, stunning. The religious leaders are getting crazy about that. We're told in uh, chapter 5, verse 14, more than ever, believers were being added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. And so they decide, okay, these uh, religious leaders, we've got to arrest these apostles. It wasn't an, we, we did not suppress it when we arrested Jane, uh, uh, Peter and John. Now we've got to arrest all of them. And we've got to put the squeeze on them and we've got to suppress this. We've got to cut this thing down before it grows into something unmanageable. And so they go out and they arrest all 11 or 12 of the apostles. Now, they do so with fear and trembling because this thing has this movement has gotten such power behind it. Now, they're afraid that the people may revolt against them and stone them. For arresting the apostles, but nevertheless, they're so infuriated, they take that risk and they arrest these guys anyway. They put them in jail, put guards all around them, and uh, the next day they're going to deal with them harshly. But in the night, chapter 5, in the night, an angel shows up, opens up the prison doors, sets them free, and tells them to go into the temple and tell about Jesus and the resurrection. Can you imagine? And so they get out of jail. They go to the temple courts. They begin speaking to whoever's there. Next morning, here come the religious leaders, high priests, the Sanhedrin, and so on. And they're getting ready to interrogate and berate and put down this thing with the apostles. And the jail's empty. And they start calling the guards into account. What happened here? And they're like, I don't know. I mean, I was here all night. I didn't see what happened. And about that time, a messenger comes running in and says... Well, we know where all those guys are. They're down at the temple courts and they're preaching that uh, Jesus and resurrection stuff again. And so you've got, you know, these guards then in mass going out to re arrest the apostles, right? And the text curiously says, but they did not use force to do so because they feared the crowd. Basically, they kind of showed up and said, would you guys come back to jail with us? And they did. And so they go back to jail with them. And there they are before the Sanhedrin and the high priest. And uh, they're being questioned about why are you doing what you're doing and why are you doing it in the name of Jesus? And that's where we're going to pick up with the reading. So let's look in verse 27
1: of chapter 5.
0: And when they had brought them. They set them before the council. That's the Sanhedrin. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Now, do you find that curious how they said that? It was almost like they couldn't bring themselves to say Jesus. Have you ever noticed that in the circles that you're in? People don't have any problem talking about God. God. Or spiritual things but it's just a little bit different when you start talking about Jesus and so they couldn't even they couldn't even do that at this point. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Remember how they kept preaching the gospel? They kept saying, this Jesus who you killed. I mean, they must have said that 20 times. And, and the Sanhedrin's taking it pretty personally. So you keep talking about this name, and you do so in a way that implicates us. and makes us look bad. Well, verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, with respect to your, your request for us to shut up, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, here it comes, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. In other words, we can't shut up. Because not only is it the truth, we are witnesses. We saw it. We heard it. We experienced it. We were there. We cannot and will not shut up about this. We must obey God, not you. Which raises the question, what have you witnessed? What have you experienced? Have you heard and seen God and the activity of God and the movement of God and the presence of God? Because it becomes that compelling Picking up in verse 33. So when they heard this, they were enraged. Now, let that emotive word sink in. This didn't just annoy. They were enraged. They're going crazy. And they wanted to kill them. Now, have you ever... Don't hold up your hand, okay? But have you ever... <laughs> been so enraged and so angry at somebody, you literally wanted to kill him. I know some of you spouses said, oh, I could kill him, I could kill her. But you've never been there. Or let's talk later, if if you have. (laughs) And they wanted to kill him, verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law. This is like the leading rabbi of the day held in honor by all the people. He stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Okay, so they got this big council thing going on and the apostles keep talking about Jesus and they keep talking about you're the ones that crucified him and God's the one that raised him from the dead and the the council's going crazy. They're enraged. They want to kill him. And Gamaliel stands up and says, time out. Ask those guys to leave. And so they remove the apostles from the room for a moment and Gamaliel addresses the council. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. And he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census, And drew away some of the people after him, and he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Now let me just pause and tell you what Gamaliel did. He just referenced two historical cases. Okay, so this wise man stands up in the middle and says, okay, calm down, everybody, calm down. We don't need to kill these guys, and here's why. How many uprisings in years past have there been? There's a bunch of them. You remember Thutis? Nothing came of his. He had a few hundred for a while, and then it totally fizzled out and, and dissolved and went away. You remember Judas the Galilean, he said? and He's actually recorded in history. The census that uh, is referred to here was around 6 or 7 A.D. So Jesus was uh, a young child at this point. And... Um, You know, every time Rome does a census, it's for the purpose of getting more accurate records for taxation. So people are going to lose money every time there's a census because taxation is going to be more effective. And uh, Judas the Galilean, this is not Judas Iscariot, another guy. Judas the Galilean stands up and says, no, I'm not going to go through this. Who's with me? And hundreds of people began to follow him. And those followers of Judas the Galilean began to be referred to as... Zealots. You ever heard of them? So by the time Jesus is an adult and he's conducting his ministry, the zealots are one of the groups that he has to contend with. And in fact, one of his early disciples, one of the first twelve, was not Simon also called Peter, but Simon the zealot. And so Gamaliel is saying, listen, these uprisings, they've come and they've gone. uh, And and here's the deal. Uh, Verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men, let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. You won't have to do anything. It will go away. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. What a statement. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Now, they're still pretty hot headed, right? So they decided they're not going to kill the apostles, but they didn't take his advice fully. So they took his advice and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. New American Standard, NIV, other versions give you the more literal word, flogged them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Now, you've got to allow your mind to picture what just happened. These guys have been a part of this powerful movement. God's been working and moving. And there have been miracles and mighty works. and, And thousands of people have been turning to Christ. The church is exploding. This exciting day is upon them. They are now arrested for this. Threatened with their life, but now flogged. You know what flogging is? We've talked about that a lot with Jesus. A whip with several leather strips attached to it. And with each leather strip attached to them pieces of bone, glass, and metal. And with the laying of every blow of the whip, every one of those leather strands cutting into a man's back and opening that, and then with the recoil of the whip, the metal, the glass, the bone ripping. It was brutal. Brutal. And these men... were undergoing a flogging that they would remember for the rest of their lives you don't get over this you never remove your shirt again without being reminded of what you had gone through you're marred and you're scarred for life and so every day when you wash and you begin to dress and you're freshly reminded of the price that you had paid for being bold at whatever point, you're kind of confronted with it all over again. Am I bold again today? Will I be bold again today? They were possessed of the reality that Gamaliel got. If the movement is of God, you won't be able to stop it. So flog away. Verse 41 They left the presence of the council rejoicing. They just gotten the beating of their lives. And the record shows they left rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The name that is above every name. The name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess someday. They took it as an honor, a privilege, that they were able to suffer for Jesus. My friends, there's something different in that life from my life from your life. if they just mentioned flogging to me I'd been doing a double check on how much of this do I really believe how much of this will I really you know, persevere with how much of this will I really move forward with? It's just the mention of flogging much less showing me the whip or feeling that whip but these guys were like there is nothing that's going to stop what God's up to flog away we're honored that we can suffer in this kind of way. Now, in verse 42, they left that flogging and we're told every day, every day, every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And Gamaliel got it right. If God's in this, it's just going to keep on. And we better watch out or we'll be opposing God. Now, at the risk of our seeming a little silly to believers around the globe, let me call for us to take some baby steps with respect. With respect to uh, risk because we're not risky people we're not bold people we me so would we dare take some baby steps toward boldness and the first thing that I want to recommend or suggest to you is this that bold looks like deciding to say something when it would be easier not to say anything. Bold looks like choosing to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. Case in point, uh, I've got a a friend who has this regular habit. He meets somebody that's new to the area. Maybe they just moved to the northwest from another part of the the states. And uh, he'll say something like, well, welcome to the northwest. I'm glad you're here. Uh, you know there's a lot of change that happens when you move from one part of the country to another part of the country and so I I, I know because I've done that uh, you're probably undergoing a lot of change and one of those things that's uh, sometimes really difficult to change is you know where am I going to now connect with a church and experience of God and things like that and um, the person will normally respond oh well I'm really not that religious so that's not that big of an issue for me And, and this guy will say Oh, that's okay. My church is filled with people who are not that religious and they're finding a very meaningful connection with Jesus. And I'd love for you to come with me sometime. Now, how easy would it have been for him not to say anything when he finds out somebody has newly moved to the area? But instead he chooses to say something. Bold also is taking advantage of opportunities that present themselves. Taking advantage of opportunities that present themselves. For example, I've got another friend who I've heard him do this numerous occasions. He'll notice that somebody has on a piece of jewelry or they'll have some tattoos or some other kind of indicator of religious symbols. And he'll always ask them about that. What does that mean to you that you wear that or that you got those tats? And so he came upon a, a woman one day who had a beautiful turquoise and gold cross. And after they had done whatever business they were doing, he then commented, Boy, that's a a beautiful cross that you're wearing. Is there a story behind how you acquired that? And she was an antique kind of person, loved to go to these small little towns and these little antique shops and whatever. And she'd found it in one of those shops. And she was just taken by how beautiful it was and was glad to be able to get it. She wears it off and that kind of thing. And he says, taking advantage of the opportunity... You know, when, when you were able to get something old like that, do you ever wonder who wore it before you? What was their story? What did that cross mean to them? Because, you know, in, in olden days, people would wear crosses as a way to remind them of how important Christ is to them and the forgiveness that they have by Him. And she was like, Oh, no, I'm not really that religious. I, I don't even think about those kinds of things. Um, and my friend said, Well, maybe you'd like to come to church with me sometime where we can think about those things. Maybe have a a meaningful conversation. It could be important to you. Taking advantage of opportunities. Bold also looks like creating opportunities. I have friends. Some of you are, are those that have prayerfully and strategically decided what fitness club you're going to work out in because... Of the relational opportunities it gives you. What social circles you're going to be involved in. You create opportunities to build friendships. And to be bold about who Jesus is in you. And I wonder if we can take steps in those directions. But before I close, and I'm just about to. See, if you're our guest today and you're not really sure about Jesus and you're kind of here investigating things and you wonder about spiritual things sometimes and and you've come in and you've taken a risk just to be with us, or maybe you're listening to this online at another time. uh, First of all, thank you for the time and for the thoughts, for the risk. But secondly, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are going, you know what, everything that guy talked about today, that's the stuff I hate. I hate. About Christianity. Why do they always have to be out there about Christianity? Why can't they just keep that stuff to themselves? And the good news for you is that most of us do. (laughs) See, you already work with people, socialize with people all the time who claim to be Christian, and they've never let you know that. You don't know how good you have it. But seriously, the reason why that feels so negative to, to so many of us is because the church has not been very good at being the church. I mean, if we had known these guys from the fifth chapter of Acts, we would have been impressed. We would, and, and they're common people. They weren't like impressive people, but they had so engaged Jesus... That impressive things were happening in them and to them and around them. I mean, they're the kind of people we would have wanted to work with or to hire because of their integrity and because of their honesty and because of their diligence. They're the kind of people that we would like our children to marry their children because of what it would mean to the stability of their family and our grandchildren and so on like that. I mean, we would have been taken with these people. And whatever has happened through the years with the movement so that the church gets derailed and distracted and institutionalized and. You know, frankly, kind of sickly. All I can do as a representative of the church and ministry is say, I'm sorry. I apologize. Because we have messed it up a lot through the years. But there has always been a remnant of those who got it and got it well and Jesus did stuff in them that was so winsome and full of life and so invigorating and so inviting and what we're talking about today is being that kind of people that if we actually became that you'd love hanging out with us and so I apologize and I also thank you for taking a risk on being with us today let me wrap this up for those of us that God's stirring about this kind of thing today It's a decision time. Would you make a decision? Will you build your life on Christ? We've been saying this for the last three weeks. Building our life on Christ is not Christ plus my career, Christ plus my finances, Christ plus my security, Christ plus whatever. It is building it upon Him, His person, our relationship, His mission. His purposes. Would you build your life on that? Would you hear Gamaliel's words and be encouraged? If God is up to this, nothing can stop it. This is where God is, this is what God's going to bless and empower and anoint. And for the couple of you that shared today, I know you're glad deep down that you were responsive to the stirrings that God brought in your heart. So would you continue to pray? God, make me bold. Help me not be paralyzed by my fears that something negative is going to happen to me if I really follow you with a whole heart. And would you continue to pray that God would do special things and miracles in the in the lives of the people around you? And in the course of all that, take steps of boldness this week. You go, I don't know if I can do this the rest of my life and all this year. Just just this week. You go, Oh God, I don't know if I can do it this entire just tomorrow. Just Monday. Well, I don't know if I could do it. Okay, half a day? Okay. just Just begin. And see as you begin to take baby steps, if God doesn't just throw grace and power and stirring upon you about all of that. Let's pray. Lord, we can't even comprehend... How much you love us. How stirring and invigorating and dynamic the Christ life is. We're close to it, but often not close enough to it. So God, uh, help us. Help us get past our cultural impediments. Help us get past our personal stuff. And just live out there where you are. Where you live. Being who you are at work to make us to be. And we pray that in Jesus' name.